0: Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success.
1: Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. Hi, and welcome to episode 29 of Hire the Smile. I'm Mike Powell, and as usual, I am joined with Katie Arterline. Katie, how are you?
0: I'm just great, Mike. How are you?
1: Good, good, good. And I think both of us, we sort of took a bit of a break with the podcast because you're on vacation, then I was Mm -hmm. on vacation. So uh, when I haven't taken a vacation for a while, it reminds you that vacation is good.
0: It is very good. Absolutely. Did you guys do lots of sitting around?
1: we did a lot of nothing as i said we did an abundance of nothing so Perfect. we had a real staycation and uh, it was lovely yeah it was, it was nice. really good I, I have to admit it wasn't long enough i could probably use another couple of days but i'll take what we have
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: so we've got an interesting subject and uh, you know we we talk about hr we're usually talking about compensating employees how to hire people how to fire people how to have better communication, a lot of the things that we have talked about uh, in past podcasts. But I've been noticing that you're doing more and more work on something called the human resource audit. Mm-hmm. And also now realize that human resources isn't just about making sure the staff is happy, but it's also making sure that the company is protected. Definitely. Is that really what an HR audit is?
0: Yeah, I mean, put really simply, it's an objective examination of a practice's policies, practices, and procedures. So... A lot of the things that we've talked about on this podcast uh, are really heading towards that best practices. And when we talk about things like discipline, then we're sort of edging into making sure we're doing things, you know, in the, in light of employment legislation, making sure we're doing things above board. But an HR audit um, can be a much more comprehensive look at sort of top to bottom Everything that the company is doing, uh, and it's really like you said, a lot of the stuff that we talk about is to make employee lives better. Um, you know, improve communication between employees and uh, employees and management, and all that kind of stuff. But when we look at an HR audit, we're looking at things systematically. Uh, we're really looking at trying to protect both the employee and the employer's interests. So uh, what I mean by that is making sure we're compliant, you know, legally and sort of best practices, which can change depending on the jurisdiction we're talking about. But really, sometimes uh, you or I will walk into a practice and we, we uncover something and we're like, oh, geez, this could be a really big deal if somebody brought this up. So the HR audit is a proactive way to sort of look at everything that a company is doing. And it's not just sort of, you know, are you paying vacation properly, but it's, you know, how are you hiring? Who makes the decisions? So it's, it can be a lot more comprehensive than that. We'll get into that here shortly. But another thing I think that's uh, really important, especially right now when we have such a very, very tight labor market, is the HR audit can look at sort of everything you're doing, including employee pay benefits, uh, you know, your work-life balance philosophy towards time off for staff, and really make sure that you are putting your best foot forward when you're trying to hire somebody. A couple of years ago, it was sort of more evenly, you know, a a back and forth. But now it's like you got to have the best package to present to somebody to try and lure them to come to work for you. So it's very, very important right now, Uh, especially, you know, something like wages, which have really dialed upward in the last six months to a year. And a lot of companies that we work with are sort of haven't really kept up with that. So that's definitely something that's a top of mind when we do an HR
1: audit. As you were talking about, I said, uh, on one hand, it's an insurance policy for a company to make sure that, you know, all their ducks in a row, all their Mm -hmm. T's are crossed, the I's are dotted. But at the other time, it also allows them to see what they need to do to make sure they're attractive in the market. Yeah, sort of benchmark. there's two sides to it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: And it's an opportunity to identify strengths and opportunities as well. So, you know, what's the company doing well? What's the company not doing so well? And how can we improve things overall? So, yeah, I mean, there are lots of reasons to do it. I think it's a lot more exciting than a financial audit. <laughs> uh, so, uh, at least from my perspective. So, yeah, there are lots of reasons.
1: I kind of think of it because I know we've gone into some practice and you sort of alluded to it, and you've heard about hiring practices or how somebody interacts with an employee and your sort of jaw drops.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's sort of like you're, you're driving down a highway with only like one tire firmly attached. Yes. And you want to think like you are so lucky. Like do mm-hmm. you realize how much your company has been exposed. As I'm talking, I can think of a few cases where if an employee had gone to an, uh, an employment lawyer you would be in so much trouble.
0: Definitely, yeah. You know, from the way that people are spoken to or just practices, you know, for how people get paid, you know, you can really get into some issues with discrimination. It might not be deliberate. It might be just something that happens because you haven't spent a lot of time looking at your HR practices and making sure that they're compliant or comprehensive. But an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in a huge way with this because when you get into... Employment standards and you get into human rights type issues, uh, it can get really, really expensive. And it's very difficult as the employer to come out on top of that, you know, particularly here in Ontario, Canada, uh, probably most of Canada, I should say, things are very, very much stilted towards the employee. So it really Mm -hmm. behooves the employer to make sure that they have their shit together, to be perfectly frank. Especially as a company grows, you you know, you start out with three people and it's like, oh, we don't need a manual. We kind of pay what the person wants to get paid. And then as you add more people, it can be easy to sort of let things slip. And then before you know it, you've got 30 employees and, you know, everybody's got a different understanding of what they're getting paid and what their contract is. So it can get pretty messy.
1: So let's, let's talk about the process because we could tell cryptic tales from the world all day. Yeah. And it it just, (laughs) as I'm reviewing, I'm like, "Oh, oh, oh, this was bad. Anyway, so let's talk about the process.
0: For sure. So from the first step in the process, uh, really, it's determining what type of audit we want to do. And it could be one of these things. It could be multiple. It could be all of them. Uh, You know, I prefer to do as many as possible just because uh, things are often very connected and it's easier to present the big picture when you have uh, more pieces of the puzzle. But the one that we've talked about a little bit here, and I think that everybody would think of that would be pretty obvious is compliance. So doing a compliance audit, making sure that your policies and practices are compliant with federal, provincial, or state, local laws and regulations. And really a lot of that is looking at an employee handbook and comparing what it says in the handbook to what actually happens. So that's one, that compliance type audit. The second one we've touched on as well is the best practices type of audit. So really you're looking at an organization and saying, can we maintain or can we improve our competitive advantage here? You know, can we compare to what we're doing to companies that are identified as having exceptional HR practices? So, you know, that could be looking at pay practices, looking at benefits, looking at work-life balance policy, all of that kind of thing. This kind of information, you know, you don't just necessarily have to look at a vet practice as far as best practice, like what are other companies doing in general? We get a little bit insulated, I think, in veterinary practice. When we do do something that's very unique, but we should look outside and see what companies outside of us are doing, particularly when we're looking at making sure that we're doing the best by our non-professional staff or our support staff.
1: I think on that note, I think all you have to do is look at the news every single day for an example of some business leader, politician, whatever, uh, being exposed for bad behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're recording this the day after the governor of New York state has resigned for accusations, numerous, numerous harassment, sexual harassment uh, opportunities. And I, I think to me, the first step of compliance is no, if you're going to do something bad, you're going to get found out. Mm-hmm. We are in such an exposed, transparent world right now that maybe back in the day you could hide things or that's just the way it was. But those days are over.
0: Totally. Yeah. So, going back to the types of audits, uh, another one would be a strategic audit. So, really focusing on strengths and weaknesses of processes and uh, looking at whether they align with the organization's strategic plans. So, do we have succession planning plans in place? You know, for a small company, You know, you have somebody, for example, who's a manager. And I mean, anybody could leave a a practice at any time. And if you're a very specialized practice, it can be hard to hire somebody from outside. So have you put plans in place to identify and develop people who could take over in those management roles down in the future? Really also looking at things like internal learning and development. Are you giving the employees the tools and the knowledge that they need to help contribute to your strategic plan? So that's a fun one. I really enjoy the strategic part of things. Now then we can look at really function-specific uh, types of audits as well. So looking at one very specific area of HR, you know, say the employee handbook is a really good place to start and something I do quite often. But also looking at payroll practices, looking at performance management practices, how are we maintaining employee records? So just looking at a snapshot of something. It could be contracts. And then another one uh which i like to kind of tack on and it's something that we do you know through the employee engagement survey uh, and we've talked about employee net promoter scores before but consider including a culture audit as part of the process as well so it doesn't have to be something as comprehensive as the employee engagement survey though it could definitely be as extensive as that but you could do that sort of shorter employee net promoter score you know would you recommend this company as a great place to work to friends or family why or why not and then see if you have any trends from there so that's that's something that can really help round out kind of the dry are you compliant or not Um, it can give you a bigger picture of of what your employees think and what they think as far as uh, what you're giving them as far as opportunities goes
1: so i mean you're looking at a lot of things there's about five main categories that you're looking at so I think there's some people who are probably listening to it going, "Well, my practice is too small for this." Mm-hmm. So I want to know what size practice, but also what stage, because you brought up a great point before, and I know I experienced that with my own practices is that you know you're a, you know one or two person, three person, before you know it you're like seven, eight, and or you've had a lot of stability and not much has changed, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you realize, oh gosh, our, our manuals are. Five, ten years old. Mm-hmm. So, how how big a practice should be investigating this?
0: I think it could be really any size. You know, I'm even thinking of a practice that we have um, just started working with that has four employees right now. And this practice owner, you know, was like, I want to make sure our handbook's up to date. I want to make sure that um, we're doing everything we should be doing. So, you know, we could audit and it might be short because they don't have a lot of policies in place, but at least it can help give a framework for these are all the things that you should be thinking about. And then you could get into these are best practices. What do we want to do? And a real cornerstone of that is the handbook, because there's so much information that can go into a handbook i think it's something that we sort of um, think about on our first day of work that we sign off on Uh, but really the handbook is tells you everything you should need to know about a company you know the culture it should tell you about the practices it should tell you about everything so that all of the uh, expectations are laid out Uh, but i mean if i was doing an audit for a practice that had three employees the price and the complexity would obviously be much less than it would be with a larger. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily limit it to larger practices. It, it could be small practice as well.
1: I'm just thinking, you know, going back years, I'm like, it's probably something you should do as you have a younger growing practice. So you're not in that stage or you you don't have a situation down the road when you're in that transition from that one or two person mm-hmm. practice to a bigger practice where like, Oh damn! I should have done this, and now I've got an employee that's threatening to sue or what have you. Yeah, it's almost like set yourself up for where you're you hope to be, so all your systems are in place.
0: Exactly. You know, I think back to um, one practice that I worked with, and they grew really, really quickly. But uh, and this is here in Ontario. Things in the states are a little bit different, um, depending on the state. But you know, they were at I think they're at fifty or sixty employees, and they'd never done offers like letters of employment for people are contracts like nobody had ever signed off on a contract except their veterinarians so you know they've got 40 30 or 40 support staff that are are working without contracts and without a handbook that they'd signed off on so that's Mm -hmm. the the potential exposure there is massive uh you know and that's something we're like oh geez that's like critical Mm -hmm. code red we need to get that taken care of right away But that's an example of what you were saying, you know, as you grow, it's so much easier to be proactive with this stuff and less expensive and less hassle in
1: the long run. So yeah, something to think about. So, I mean, how often would you do an audit like this?
0: Uh, it, It depends on the size. I think, you know, doing a comprehensive audit with, you know, all of the steps that I talked about, That'd be a once a year thing. I mean, people would tear their hair out, and and things don't change all that quickly, you know. So it could be one year. It could be every couple of years. But what you could also do is is just break it down and just do spot audits. So you know, you could say, okay, well, in January I'm going to look at our payroll process, and uh, then in February I'm going to look at performance management. So you could do it in a much more spread out fashion. But I think, you know, sort of once every couple of years is a good idea, Um, particularly if you have a previous audit to fall back on and you can say, okay, well, these are the things that we were supposed to work on and how are we doing now? But, you know, once you sort of have an ear for HR and you're sort of thinking about it all the time and thinking about continuous improvement, then the audit becomes less of a necessity because you're just on top
1: of it all the time. Mm -hmm. Going back to our original comments in terms of insurance. So when you have insurance with your practice, you're reviewing that every couple of years to make Mm -hmm. sure... The value that you're insured for reflects the, you know, the equipment that you have, property, what have you, the liability, the number of debts, what have you. But also in terms of as we have this changing uh, employee market, mm-hmm. you don't want to be sitting there putting jobs out with a 2019 <laughs> mindset. Yes, yeah. 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 things have changed a lot in the last year and a half, two years. Exactly.
0: Yeah, well, and it's keeping an it ear to employment legislation. You know, it changes all the time. For example, I'm thinking of here in Ontario, uh, or actually in all of Canada. There's a new federal holiday on September 30th, and it doesn't. It, it affects federal employees, which isn't really relevant to vet practice, but. It could have been a holiday that everybody takes off and then you need to be on top of that. You know, you don't want to be the day before and the staff are like, oh, hey, do we get tomorrow off? Uh, right. So you need to be on top of that stuff. You know, I'm thinking of when we added family day here in February in Ontario or the federal government mandates sick days or, you know, COVID pay days or whatever. You need to be on top of that, too. So I think once you do this type of audit and it's front of mind and everything's up to date, you're way more motivated to be like, OK, I'm going to keep an ear to uh, what's happening. Sure.
1: And so, you know, let's say somebody hires you or somebody, I mean, it doesn't have to be us. I don't want us to be so bitchy that way, (laughs) but what do you expect? Like, I mean, does this take months, weeks, days? I mean, do you have to be on site? Can you do it distantly? Like, how does that work?
0: It really depends. So um, what I do is I've got like a six page list of things that I, I would like. Uh, and it, so this is a full HR audit. Just, this isn't like a small one. Um, but just as a snippet, you know, what I'll do is I'll send the list to whoever's sort of in charge of this stuff with usually the practice manager or the managing partner of the company. And uh, what I do is I ask for copies of policies and practices, but then I also ask questions. So uh, for example, you know, number one, general HR policies. I ask them for the copy of their employee handbook and then any policies that aren't contained in the handbook. Because often what happens is you've got the handbook and then you have kind of random policies and they don't necessarily get incorporated into the handbook. So they're sort of floating around. So I ask for all of that. But then I have questions that I ask too, you know, how often is the handbook updated? How are the changes to the handbook relayed to the staff? Do staff sign off on updates to policies? Do people sign off on the handbook when they start? Do they keep a signed copy of the handbook? Uh, and then things like who's responsible for creating work schedules? What's the process for requesting time off, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, just so I can have a really good idea of, of what happens. So, you know, I ask for general HR policies, I ask questions about employee files, I ask for job descriptions. And, uh, you know, ask about how often they're updated. I ask for details about their health and dental benefits program if they have one. I ask about how they do training, performance management, how they do wage and salary administration. So it's quite a lot of,
1: yeah, it's very thorough.
0: It's super thorough. And often it's more than one person that is going to come up with the answers to these. So, mm. The last full one that I did, um, I think I sent the list out and I gave them about two weeks to get things to me. And then uh, we sort of went from there. So what happens is, you know, I look at everything and then I'll have like a list of questions that come up that I need clarification on. So I'll go back and ask uh, whoever's in charge of that area. And whoever it is, it might be their bookkeeper, or, your, or it could be the managing uh, partner, it could be the practice manager. If they have specific HR folk, I could talk to them as well. Uh, so it could take anywhere, you know, if we're just doing something small, like we're just looking at payroll, that could be done in a couple of days, up to a few weeks to a month or more, depending on how complex things are. So mm-hmm. it really depends on, on what we decide to audit and uh, what the, the company has in place already. I guess
1: another angle on this is because we've been sort of talking about, well, we're in Canada, so there's a national mandate, there's provincials. Uh, we have done work uh, in the U.S. Uh, distantly, and mm-hmm. there are state legislations, national legislations. I know when we have done work in Europe, there's uh, you know a whole other set of regulations and standards. So at what point do you bring in other people like lawyers or mm. you know just to make sure everything is according to that country state region what have you.
0: That's a great question and I would say if there are particularly thorny concerns or things have come up in the past that have been perhaps murky legally then I would definitely bring in a lawyer or even inquire to see if a lawyer will do part of it just because then you know we something to consider is Uh, If we do an HR audit and then you don't act on the things that are identified, then that's a potential, you know, something that could be brought up in discovery if a lawsuit comes up. And it's like, well, this consultant identified that your hiring practices could be seen as discriminatory. And that was two years ago and you didn't do anything about it. So if something popped up that I thought was a huge can of worms, then I would definitely bring in legal counsel. And I do let people know at the beginning that that's a possibility and that's something that's going to. Um, be outside of the fee. Uh, but that's a great question. Um, particularly, you know, when you get into the U.S. where states can have very, very different uh, employment policies. Here in Canada, it's a relatively pretty much the same from province to province. But in the States, uh, there are many different philosophies on uh, employment legislation. So it can, can get a bit messy for sure.
1: And it's interesting because I know we've, you know, we've presented in Europe before and in the EU. And there's a lot of assumptions about what they can do. Yes. And I know you've done research and the reality can be very different, which to me is also another advantage of having the audit to sort of, all right, what's the perceived standard and what's the real one? Mm -hmm. And I I think that that I would find really helpful too.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I'm thinking of a couple of the states or a couple of the countries in Europe where basically – we went and we did a presentation and we were talking about termination and the the companies were saying to us practices were saying well you can't get rid of anybody in europe it's just impossible we're like really and then when you look a little bit closer it's like well you can but you have to have a lot of burden of proof and you know go through all these steps so it's people just sort of say oh well i just can't get rid of anybody and because it's so complicated but that's not necessarily the case so that's a really good point
1: Yeah. So it's almost like having this audit really helps the practice owners and managers like, here are my boundaries. Here's how we can work. Mm -hmm. Which actually is a little bit liberating because often we think there isn't a solution for a problem employee, for example, but there is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It often involves an uncomfortable conversation, but (laughs) there always is some kind of recourse for sure.
1: So what happens after you've collect all this information?
0: Oh, so much fun stuff. So obviously the compiling, so putting it all together uh, and benchmarking. So looking at things uh, that are benchmarkable. So things like pay practices, benefits, uh, how people are dealing with performance management and and looking at data or looking at what we know from what other practices are doing in North America and in Europe, if that's uh, the place where we're doing it. And just sort of comparing. So, you know, seeing things like absenteeism rates, uh, cost of benefits, rate of turnover, so, rate of p- people leaving, pay scales is another excellent one. Looking at vet salaries and compensation packages. So, looking at those things that are easily comparable, uh, doing a lot of that benchmarking and just comparing what you're doing to what the best practices are. And then after uh, I've sort of compiled everything, I'll put together quite a a very detailed uh, report So basically summarizing the data, um, going into things specifically that need to be fixed. So providing feedback, providing recommendations, and I'll prioritize based on risk or exposure levels. So for something like if a practice is uh, not calculating vacation properly, for example, or they're not following overtime rules like they should be, then that's like a red alert. And it's something that we have to deal with right away because potential exposure is high, and so I'll rank things and make recommendations based on you know how urgent things are, uh, and then we really need to make sure that this gets discussed with the people who can actually make sure. changes. And uh, often it will be the managing partner. Sometimes the Practice manager will be involved and uh, also letting the staff know. So if there are places, you know, you might not necessarily let them know about something minute, like we're going to overhaul the handbook and these are all the specifics, but we're going to say, well, you know, we've done this audit and these are the deficiencies that we found and we're going to be doing X, Y, Z to address them so that people know, because often the staff are involved, particularly if you're doing that sort of short pulse survey or employee net promoter score, they want to know what the results were. And we really need to make sure we put together an action plan. So whether that's something that Oculus would help with or the consultant would help with, but you know, you've know, you got all this information, you have to actually do something with it. Uh, and like I said earlier, once you've done the audit and there are deficiencies and you don't do anything, it could be really ugly for you down the road. Mm-hmm because, you know, you've, you've identified it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun. I, I say that because I'm an HR nerd, but it's fun to go through this stuff and just see what, what companies do. And, uh, often it seems simple to me. HR is simple as, even though I kind of listed all of these areas that we go over, uh, but practices are often just relieved to have somebody look at everything because they might not even really kind of think of what's involved with HR or be able to make a list. So, uh, it can be a big relief for them for sure.
1: It's, it's kind of funny because you're, you're ta- commenting how much you like it. I remember once calling you or getting on the call with you a couple of months ago and you were in the midst of this. and. People that know me know I'm not a detail mm-hmm. kind of person. Yeah. And I was like, "What are you doing?" She's like, oh, "I'm putting together all the results of an HR audit. This is so much fun. I can yeah. do this all day." I'm like, super fun, really. really? <laughs> I no, I was like, "Are you joking?" What's the punchline? You're like, "No, I really love this. This is amazing." I'm like, "Yeah, right."
0: Is- you can keep your balance sheets and your <laughs> those things. Uh, so yeah, and I you know, we talked about it before too. You know, kind of going beyond the action plan and going beyond putting strategic plan in place to deal with things that might be uncovered is once you, you're you up to date, thinking about how you can participate in continuous improvement. So, you know, having an ear to things like changing legislation, changes in best practices, changes in the market, uh, so that you sort of just sort of don't let everything slip for the next five years until you do this again. And often too, you know, something to look at is trends in employee behavior and information so something like you know all of a sudden employees are more absent uh or you've done a interim employee net promoter score and the scores have gone down make sure you're on top of those things because they all point to underlying issues you know could be burnout could be lack of engagement uh, or whatever and it all needs to be acknowledged and addressed so whether you designate somebody in the practice maybe it's your practice manager to be sort of on top of that hr legislation or You hire somebody to look at it for you every six months or whatever the case may be. Uh, It's definitely something I would recommend just to to be uh, tip-top and on top of it.
1: I think the biggest issue facing most vet practices is finding and keeping vets and staff Mm -hmm. and I think this could really give somebody a competitive advantage because there's one thing we I think human nature we like is consistency and transparency yeah and if you're a vet working for a practice and you're talking to another vet who's working at a well-managed practice that has good HR policies and they're like yes we get a we get an annual performance review there's a transparent way of how we get compensated Issues are dealt with when when they happen, and then there's a person like hey, I haven't had a review in two years, and nobody seems to know really what's going on. It makes people think like, why am here? Yeah. So, I think in this tight marketplace, this really behooves any practice to get on this.
0: Love it. I think we both said behooves in this podcast. Wow. Nice.
1: Anyway, thank you. That's that. As I said, I have said I'm not a detail person, but I have seen the positive benefit for, for this, and I just yeah to me i wouldn't be in practice without practice insurance and Mm. i think this is the same kind of level of security that somebody would need for their practice for sure hey let's talk about our wins and fails i'll start first and i know by the time this is released the olympics will be well over but i have to say my win was the olympics i was one of the people and i still kind of do think i don't know why they put them on with what's going on with covid But being in Ontario and with the time zone difference and being on vacation, I was enjoying every morning watching about five hours of live Olympics. Mm -hmm. And so seeing just a lot of amazing activities and just... Seeing athletes that we know in Canada and how they've developed and I just it kind of, to me, it's just, it's it's very close to performance management of just seeing somebody who reached this level five years ago in, in Rio and has been able to improve, worked on weaknesses, really magnified their strengths. And I just, I just was, you know, I thought it was exhilarating, but my Fail is tied into the Olympics because I think there were some very, very brave people. Simone Biles is the most notable mm-hmm. in terms of talking about mental health issues. And why I say it's a fail is kudos to her. I think wonderful. The fail is the perception of a lot of people outside of that world who are like, You're an athlete, tough it up. You're you're supposed to be strong. And if you're not, you know, if you didn't know what it was gonna be like, why'd you do it type thing? And I just think that's pretty cruel and not really a, uh, appreciating the intensity of their lives. Um, you know, and Simone Biles was talking about as she's doing these acrobatic flips, that mind-boggling, and then she says, well, I'm getting the twisties, and you don't know what's up and down. I mean, that could be mm-hmm. a career-ending, yeah. life-threatening injury. But I also, at the same time, there's an HBO documentary called The Weight of Gold, um, hosted by Michael Phelps, the renowned swimmer, Really, and it's with a, a bunch of U.S., primarily Olympians, and talking about their mental health challenges, their struggles, and uh, I know as the veterinary profession, we're very sensitive with that because that's something that really affects us all, and I think that's another, oh, let's call it a sector. Uh, employees, athletes, I think they're in the same level, and it's just, I mean, just this week as we're recording this, uh, an elite New Zealand cyclist committed suicide this week. And it's just, uh, I think there's a problem there too. So I'm, I'm happy that they're talking about it, but I th- I'm hoping the rest of society can be as supportive with these athletes because it's not all just glory.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you had the best wins and fails this week. Uh, mine pale in comparison. And I don't know if this is a win or a fail. This is kind of more a point of interest was the news that uh, Google, the company, is looking at their pay practices for people who have decided to permanently work from home. So I guess, you know, the win is that Google's like, hey, if you can do it, you can work from home permanently. Excellent. And then down the pike comes, uh, but you know, if you were previously going into the office in New York City and you were getting paid X amount of dollars, if you move to upstate New York where the cost of living is lower, you're going to get a pay cut and you're going to work from home and it's going to be for less money. So I don't know if that's a win or a fail. And that's probably could be like a subject part of a whole podcast, but uh, it's kind of like great people can work from home but the possibility of a pay cut is there and it doesn't really sit all that well with me. So I mean, I do see both sides, but I just thought it was an interesting uh, conundrum that's come up out of uh, what's happened with COVID and the push for working from home.
1: Yeah. There's definitely two sides of it because you can just say as a company, like, Hey, you're not coming to the office. I can use that space or I can use less space. Seriously. Yeah. And there's you know, there's, So there's some cost savings to the company too. So yeah. I, yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more of this i know more and more companies i mean this doesn't really affect the vet industry but it affects our clients and that is the return to the office is being pushed off and pushed off now because of the the delta variant so i think we're going to have a lot of discussions about this Mm -hmm. absolutely so all right thanks katie see you in a couple weeks Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.